us pray and then continue on. Lord, we are grateful for what you're doing and we invite what you're doing into our hearts, into our lives. Father, we acknowledge you and we love you and we honor you. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us, convict us, challenge us, motivate us, inspire us. Because our desire is to move forward following you and accomplishing the task that you've put into our hands so that Jesus can be glorified. And we ask that you would bless this time and bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today the title of my message is, is Loving People Well Supernaturally. Loving People Well Supernaturally. There's been a theme that we've been, those of us who have been preaching and teaching up here up front, uh, there's, a, there's an underlying theme that we've been following in 2007, and it's basically called Loving People Well in 2017. Felt like that was what the Lord put on our hearts, to intentionally look at and go after loving people well. And so this message definitely follows that theme, but it adds another component, loving people well supernaturally. Uh, Matthew 4.19, it says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know, as Jesus was meeting the, the guys that he was calling as disciples, he would go to them in different places, in their, at, basically at their workplace. And he would say, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So he was inviting them into a process. He says, as you follow me, there's going to be a change. I'm going to be changing you. And the end result is going to be, you're going to be fishers of men. You're going to be people who catch men. Or people, actually. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, and then 17 through 20. It says, either way, Christ's love controls or compels us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we all have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. So that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Talking about the people who are born again. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation so that we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. If, we are fo- if we're following Jesus, what are our lives going to look like when it comes to people? If we're following Jesus, now when we saw Jesus, in the, as we read the Bible and we see what he did, we see how he lived his life, we see that how he um, impacted people, how he ministered to people. And so if we're following him, because the Bible says that Jesus is the same today as he was before. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. So whatever Jesus did on the planet when he was here, he still has that same desire to do the very same things. 
However, he's excited because he gets to do it on a broader scale because he has more followers. He has multiplied himself into millions of people. So what he did while he was physically on this earth, he still desires to do through you and I. So if you're following Jesus, then what is your life going to look like? What should it be looking like? See, because those who belong to him, who have received him, we're no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for him who died for us, right? So our life is not about doing what we want to do and then tagging Jesus on the end when we have time. But it's about our whole lives being funneled through the, the, the lens and, and the, the life of Jesus. If I'm a student, how does Jesus want me to be a student? If I'm a businessman, how do I conduct my business in a way that would honor Jesus in the way that he would do it? If I'm a mom, if I'm a dad, if I'm a, whatever the case is, whatever your assignment is, you should be living that through the giftings that he's put in you and living it in a way that would honor him and a way that he would desire you to do that. But too many American Christians, we live this way. We, we claim to be Christians and then we live our lives and then we spend a couple of hours honoring Jesus. That looks totally different from living your life through Jesus or allowing Jesus to live your life, his life through you. I mean, you see what I'm getting at? There's a difference. We're not to tag him on. You know, we come on Sunday, spend a couple of hours, do our thing, and then we go back, you know, and, and then live life for the other six days, and we come back and repeat again. Sunday, the purpose of Sunday is to come to be encouraged, to bless one another, to encourage one another, to honor him and to allow him to to equip us to go back out and live in power and love. Are you with me so far? So if we're following Jesus, what will our lives look like when it comes to people? It'll look like reaching out to and serving and loving people supernaturally. This particular aspect, because, well, actually, I'm just focusing on this aspect today, is reaching out to people. It will look like reaching out to, serving, and loving people supernaturally. You know, when we're loving people well, I believe that means to, to find out and meet their needs, minister to their needs. That's how we love people well. Not try to bring our agenda to somebody, but find out what their needs are and look to minister to and meet those needs. That's how we love people well. How we love people well supernaturally is we look and find out what the needs of people are and we look to meet those needs supernaturally. We're inviting the resources of heaven to come into that situation. We're inviting Jesus to intervene. We're inviting Jesus to intervene. And that's what he's wanting to do. You know when Jesus says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. See, what he's desiring, part of that is when I'm out and meeting people and, and working alongside people and I find out what their needs are, and Jesus says, remember, ask in my name and I'll do it. And you find out what that person's need is, and then you take that need to him, and on their behalf you go to the Father, and the Father meets the need of that person or meets the needs of that person, imagine the impact that that's going to have in their lives. 
And that's what he's wanting to partner with us to be able to do. The Holy Spirit told me last year, those who love well will have the greatest influence. Those who love well will have the greatest influence. Those who love people, now not with an agenda to influence them, because you'll get it backwards. It's not, oh, you know what, if I love them, I can influence them. So you have an agenda. The agenda is to love people. If you love people well, then they will open their hearts for you to influence them. They will say, my heart is open, I'm giving you permission to influence me. And I've seen that happen over and over and over again. And, and so I realized, you know, the Holy Spirit was telling the truth when he said that. So what does this look like practically? Because I believe up to this point, and I, I know you would agree, everything I've said to this point, we all agree with. There's no issue. There's no one saying, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. We all agree with what I've been saying. But what does this look like practically? You know, not too long ago, a few days ago, I was in Walmart. Anybody ever been to Walmart before? I was in Walmart, and, and I was going through the, the, the self-checkout, that area, and there was a lady who stands there and who kind of monitors that area and makes sure if you need help or, or having problems, she's there. Well, I was checking out my stuff, and then I, as I finished, I noticed her, and she looked like she was miserable. And I was thinking, well, it could be where she's working. You know, no, I'm just kidding. She looked miserable. And so as I was approaching her, I'm going to walk past her. She, she was kind of wincing and everything. And I, it was obvious that she was not, not doing too well. So as I approached her, I said, excuse me, ma'am. I said, are you okay? And she's like, oh, I got this, this headache. And I looked around, and it was pretty busy. And I said, do you mind if I pray for you real quick? And she said, <laughs> Like, she didn't care if I was a Buddhist or what. She just wanted relief. And she said, absolutely, that'd be fine. I said, right now. Because sometimes when you say, can I pray for you, they think, oh, yeah, on your way, you're going to pray for them. So you want to make sure they understand what you're talking about. I said, may I pray for you right now? She said, sure. And so I was trying to be mindful of her surroundings and everything, so I real quick prayed for her. I think I put my hand on the back of her head right there and prayed against a headache. Now, typically, when I take those opportunities, I'll stay and talk to them and, and that kind of thing, see how they're doing, keep praying until there's relief and that kind of thing. But the circumstances didn't allow for that, so it was basically a hit and run. Just bam, and then take off. I don't know if anything changed. I also don't know if anything didn't change. But I took the opportunity. I saw a person who had an obvious need, and I felt like Jesus wanted to do something about it, so I gave him the opportunity to do something about it. You know, a few weeks ago, we heard from two ladies, Dee Dee and, and Kylie, who work at um, Chick-fil-A. I mean, I don't know who doesn't work at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> you walk into Chick-fil-A, you're going to know somebody at the counter. But they're working at Chick-fil-A, and it was a young lady who was in the, if I remember right, was in the break room in, in, in excruciating pain. And obviously, it was a, a situation that she had dealt with in the past. And, and, you know, typically when we see someone in pain, it's like, oh, bless your heart, I'm so sorry. You know, we have sympathy for people, and sympathy is okay, but compassion's better. You know, the Bible says Jesus moved with compassion. See, sympathy is like a, oh, you poor thing. Compassion is, I see your need, and I'm going to do something about it if I can. And these two ladies just didn't say, oh, and give them, you know, pat on the head, you poor thing. They knew somebody that they believed wanted to do something about this young lady's situation. And so they asked, can we pray for you? 
She had let them, they prayed for her, and she got healed. And she was crying, and what, what are you guys doing to me? It's working, it's working. I mean, she was freaking out because she was encountering heaven at that time. Because two ladies were willing to invite heaven into Chick-fil-A. Remember the father says to pray this way and part of it is your, will, your kingdom come, your will be done on, in Chick-fil-A as it is in heaven. <laughs> he wants his power. You know, God, there's going to come a day when we're going to be with him in heaven. We're not going to have any worries, anything. There's, we're not going to have any need for any gifts of the Spirit. There's not going to need for it, be a need for healing, prophetic words, and all that stuff. That's not for heaven, it's for now. If we don't use the gifts now, then there's going to come a point in time where we're not going to be able to. He desires, Jesus desires, he did all that he did, suffered a brutal death, so that we can be reconciled to God, so that mankind can be reconciled to him. So he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, and his desire is for his people to encounter the people who don't know him, so that they will get to know him, be introduced to him by his goodness, and so that they will hopefully come into a relationship with Jesus. He desires for that to happen wherever you work, wherever you find yourself throughout the week. This thing keeps timing out on me. How many of you guys have never hurt... <laughs> How many of you guys... Have never heard, now I know everybody's heard of scavenger hunts, right? I'm not talking about scavenger hunts. How many of you have never heard of treasure hunting, spiritual treasure hunting? Anybody never heard of that before? Now I'm not setting you up, okay? Don't be afraid to raise your hand. Has anybody never heard of treasure hunting? Okay. How many of you have heard of treasure hunting? Because if you've been here for a period of time, you've heard of treasure hunting, and many of you have even participated in treasure hunting. Basically, what is, it's an exciting and fun evangelistic tool that we use to reach, bless, and encourage people that we encounter out in the community. And we've learned about treasure hunting through a book by Kevin Dedman called The Ultimate Treasure Hunt. In the last seven or so years that we've done this, we've seen people get physically healed, saved, and tremendously encouraged. Our goal, my desire for doing this, was to simply give Jesus... Oh, excuse me. No, our goal is simply to give Jesus the opportunity to love people through us however he wants to. My desire for doing treasure hunting, because I had an agenda, I had a scheme, so those who participated in treasure hunting, my desire was not only would they do the treasure hunting and say, oh, that was cool, that was fun, that was exciting, let's go home, and then come back next week and do it again. That wasn't the desire. Although I wanted everybody to have a good time and all that, because we did. It was crazy, it was cool, it was fun, it was scary, all that. My desire was for them to take what they had learned from treasure hunting into their everyday lives. And the main thing is, see, when we, we are a very busy society, and what happens is we get so locked into our own little world. So you can go to Walmart, and there can be hundreds and hundreds of people in there, and you don't see anybody. Because you are locked into getting your school supplies, or getting your groceries, or getting your toiletries, or whatever, and you're just locked in on your task, and you're totally oblivious to everyone around you. Am I the only one that deals with that? Well, pray for me since I am. But you're, we can be totally oblivious. But the deal with treasure hunting is, is it causes you to get your eyes on people and, and see people through the Father's eyes. Like, wow, there's people all over the place. 
And then it's like, Father, who do you want to have an encounter with today through me? And so treasure hunting was a practical tool that allowed us to engage in doing that. But the desired outcome was, as you live life, you're, you're aware of people, and you're looking to minister to their needs. Even if you're in Walmart, you see a lady with a headache. Or you're, in, you're working at Chick-fil-A, and you see someone in pain. Or if you're working in the office, and all of a sudden you hear your coworker, man, I got this splitting headache, or, or man, this, or whatever their situation is, I would be willing to believe that God wants to do something in that situation. Time out again. So we've been doing treasure hunting about seven years, and here's how it works, basically. We get together, we pray, and we ask God to give us clues that will lead us to the people that he wants to love, honor, bless, or encourage. We then write the clues down that he gives us on what we call our treasure map. And on this treasure map, there are five categories on this piece of paper. Categories are location, names, names of people, appearance, you know, what that person may look like, like green hair, black tennis shoes, uh, brown rim glasses, what they, need, what they may need prayer for, and unusual. There's a category for unusual. You might get something like windmill, lollipop, monkey, alligator, tattoo, um, Afghanistan. You know, just may, and when you get a clue like that and it doesn't make any sense, you would put that in the unusual category and just trust the Lord. Say, I don't know what this means, but I'm going to just put it there. And so you write these clues in pen on a piece of paper, and then you break into groups of teams of three or four, and then together, all of your pieces of paper become the treasure map that you're going to use to go out and look for the people that God wants to encounter through you in the community. For example, you may have green hair, blue eyes, brown sneakers, white t-shirt, Walmart, parking lot, uh, Buick, marriage problems, all these things, and then you encounter somebody that has all those, they fit all those clues. And then when you find someone who, see, that's the treasure hunt, so you're looking, you're going out looking for the treasure, you're looking for people who fit your clues. And we always found people who fit the clues. And then when you find them, you say, hey, hey, we're Christians, and we're on a treasure hunt, and we think you might be our treasure. That's my opening line, because it usually catches their attention, and you find out either they're interested or they don't want anything to do with you. And then they will tell the manager, and you will get kicked out of Food Pyramid and never be allowed to treasure hunt again in Food Pyramid. Right, Kaylin? <laughs> so you'll find out real quick if they're, if they're interested, like, treasure? Treasure hunt? Treasure? What do you mean? And then they're curious, and so you suck them in. And then you show them, say, well, here's the clues. We asked God to show us the clues to lead us to the person that we felt like he just wanted to encourage today. And so then you show them the clues that you have. You know, Walmart, you find them in Walmart. You, someone may have produce. You found them in the produce section. They have green hair, brown pants. and In other words, fit the clues, and then you have their attention. They're like, whoa, what a coincidence. Of course, that's what they think. And then you minister to them accordingly. And we've, we've done this over and over and over several times, and we've had some really cool and crazy things happen. And I want to share um, a story of a treasure hunt. This was me, when me and Grant, he was 12 years old at the time. This is after I read the book and I discovered this, reading this book, and, and I said, I want to try this. And so me and Grant, we did a father-son fun ministry trip. We went away to Oklahoma City, and the goal was to play, have fun with God. 
So we went, to, we went to Frontier City, we went to the movies, we went to the mall, and the goal was to invite God into that mix and have fun and look for opportunities. And if we saw people that had needs, we are going to pray for them. We prayed for a guy in a parking lot, he got healed, and we just, we just had fun. And my goal was to show Grant that God wants to be intricately involved in all of our lives and not just, okay, God on Sunday, then we go have fun on Friday, and then we do God on Sunday. So anyway, so we were doing this treasure hunt. And I'm going to read out of a, a book that I'm writing. Here's a little piece. And this story is called Alligator. Proverbs 16.9 says, the, man, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Grant and I were having a blast and enjoying our very first treasure hunt. Doggone it. Timed out again. I need to do something about that. Okay. Grant and I were having a blast and enjoying our very first treasure hunt. So far on that day, we had a man pray with us to give his life to Jesus, and a cashier at Burger King received an instant healing in his wrist. We were on a roll, and we were loving every bit of it. The main clue we had been searching for for quite a while that day was alligator, and we couldn't find it anywhere. We were roaming all over Crossroads Mall looking for our precious alligator clue. At one point, I got the clever idea of asking a security guard if he could tell me where a certain department store was. Now, this didn't have anything to do with our treasure hunt. I just wanted to go shop there. After he informed me that the store was no longer in the mall, he noticed our treasure map in my hand, and he asked what we were doing. And I told him we were treasure hunting. Just knowing that our conversation was surely about to lead to an amazing evangelistic opportunity, I proceeded to explain what it was all about. Then to our shock and utter horror, he said, you can't do that here. I said, what? Why? He said, well, you just can't do that here. And just like that, our treasure hunt in the mall was shut down. We couldn't believe it. We were bewildered, discouraged, and frustrated all at the same time. Although there was the temptation to just move out of the officer's sight and continue our treasure hunting without him knowing, I decided it would be best to honor God by honoring this man's authority. Yeah, the one that just shut us down. We realized that if we wanted to continue our hunt, it would have to be somewhere else, so we left the mall. As we were driving down the road, I noticed the McDonald's, which we had decided to stop and eat at, to eat lunch. As we were standing there in line, I was mentally beating myself up for asking the security guard that question that literally ruined our treasure hunt. Then I noticed that the man in front of me was wearing a t-shirt that had a picture of a huge, yep, you guessed it, alligator. No way. Are you kidding me? All kinds of emotions flooded my soul as I realized that it was God's plan all along to get us out of the mall and inside this McDonald's to find this man wearing this t-shirt at that particular time. Proverbs 16, 9. After our alligator man had bought a tray full of food, we also ordered and sat down a short distance away where we could keep our eye on our treasure. We decided to wait until he and his family finished eating before approaching them. After he finished his Big Mac, we got up and made our move. But things didn't quite turn out like I thought they would, and man, was I embarrassed. When we made our way over to the family, we politely introduced ourselves and proceeded to tell the man that we were on a treasure hunt, and we, and we believed that he was our treasure, my usual opening line. Now, one thing in treasure hunting that's, that's, that kind of takes it to, the, to a higher level is when you get somebody's name. We've had that happen several times when you, you get all these clues and then you also happen to get their name, that just, that's just over the top. And we've had some crazy encounters like that. 
He asked me why I thought he was our treasure, and I proceeded to explain that he had an alligator. Now, we had alligator as one of our clues, and that he had a picture of a huge alligator on his shirt. He wasn't impressed at all. And he said, that's just a coincidence. That was not the response I was expecting, nor was I used to it. I was totally caught off guard, surprised, and became a little flustered. I then went into panic mode and tried to convince him that he was our treasure, which only made things worse. I began to call off the name clues on our treasure map, asking if his name was John or Sam or Jimmy. He answered with an emphatic no. The look on his face indicated that he was becoming very impatient and agitated with these two strangers interrupting his family's lunch. Not wanting to give up so easily, I began to ask his wife if her name was Sally or Carol. She, asked, she also answered with a stern, no. By this time, Alligator Man had heard enough and said, sir, we are not interested. He and his wife gave me that look that you give a person who you believe needs a lot of help. Grant and I quickly left the scene and quickly walked into the playground area of McDonald's. And I was wishing that Southwest Airlines would answer my prayer because inside I was screaming, yes, I want to get away. I felt so humiliated and embarrassed trying to figure out where, how, and why things had gone drastically wrong. As I was standing there licking my wounds and feeling sorry for myself, Grant tapped me on the shoulder and said, Dad, I believe God wants me to give this coin to those people. Grant had a gospel coin in his pocket, which was one of several evangelistic coins that I had purchased online so that we could give away to people. He had a, a silver coin and it had a scripture on one side, God loves you on the other side. And he had some of those in his pocket. And he felt like God told him to give that coin to those people. I said, who are we supposed to give that to? Those people. What people? The ones we just left. Ha, you're kidding me, right? No, I believe that's what God said. Okay, then you go ahead. <laughs> I'm not going in there by myself. I'm not going in there at all. <laughs> Dad, please come with me. Grant, there's no way I'm going back in there. I could see that Grant wasn't budging on his conviction. Doggone it. What was I supposed to do now? Here I am trying to teach and encourage my 12-year-old son how to hear God and obey his leading. And here was a situation where Grant was obviously not hearing God correctly because God loved me way too much to send me back there to the lions or alligators. So how was I going to break this disappointing news to my son? After about 20 seconds of serious and painful deliberation, I decided that the right thing to do was to go back in there with Grant. My only hope was that they would be gone by the time we got back in there. Please, Jesus, please, Jesus, please, Jesus. Nope, unfortunately, they were still sitting there. So we walked back up to the table, and I said, Excuse me, sir. Alligator man and his wife and his kids, all at the same time, looked at me as if to say, Seriously, you're back again? Before things could get more painfully uncomfortable, I said, my son has something he wants to give you. Grant proceeded to say, sir, I believe God wants me to give this to you, and he handed the man the gospel coin. Then his wife said in a loud voice, where did you get that? I told her that I had ordered a bunch of them online. Then she told us how someone else had recently given her a coin very similar to this one, and since that time, she had been wanting to know how and where she could get more of these coins because she wanted to use them for a vacation Bible school they were planning that summer. After I gave her the web address and explained how she could order them, she was so excited and so grateful and thanked us continuously. Then I felt like the Lord gave me an encouraging prophetic word to share with Alligator Man. 
So I cautiously asked, sir, I feel like God has given me something to share with you. Would that be okay? By this time, the whole atmosphere had changed and his demeanor had softened quite a bit. He said, sure. So I shared the word, which was pretty specific. Then I asked if it meant anything to him. And he said it certainly did. And he even seemed encouraged by it. As we were leaving, we shook hands, and the lady was thanking us again and again for the information on the coin. The scene was quite a bit different than it was just 10 minutes ago. When we left, it was as if we were leaving good friends we had known for years. I guess you can say that Grant did hear from God after all. We serve an amazing father. So you see in that situation... That when, which was very awkward, very scary, but it was supernatural because Alligator Man was our treasure that God was wanting to lead us to that day. And of course, it didn't start off right. It was a big blunder. But once the need was met, this lady had a need and it was met when my son said, God wanted me to give this to you. Everything changed. They were totally closed off to these, these strangers who were interfering with their family day. But when the need was met supernaturally, the atmosphere shifted. And then the people who were pushing us away moments ago, the man was inviting a prophetic word that he allowed me to speak to him. And he received it. See, those who love well will have the greatest influence. When we're willing to take risks, now treasure hunting is definitely a high risk, kind of a high, kind of a scary, high risk, high reward type of deal. And I'm not saying everybody needs to go out and do treasure hunting every day. I mean, it's fun. I love it. That's, that's what I get kicks out of. And I know there's people who are wired that way and you love doing that kind of thing. But the important thing is to become aware of people's needs. Allowing yourself to be sensitive to what people, what God's wanting to do through you to minister to people. And that's the whole point and purpose behind treasure hunting. You know, it's, it's coming up on a year when, as I've been serving as a, a chaplain for law enforcement here in Payne County, um, it'll be a year in the middle of September. And I remember last, the summer before that, I think it was last summer, no, last spring, I felt like the Lord was wanting me to connect with law enforcement to show support to them, you know, inviting us as a family to be praying for them and, and to let them know, we, we support you, we're praying for you. Because at that time, if you remember last year, last summer, there was a lot of, a lot of things, activities and things going, a lot of negative stuff going on, and, and police were definitely painted in a negative light because there were some bad things going on that, that officers were doing. And so a lot of, so pretty much all law enforcement was getting painted in a bad light because of what, what some um, bad cops were doing. So anyway, I felt like the Lord wanted me to just go to them. I went to the sheriff. I went to the chief of police and say, just want you to know we support you and we're praying for you. That was my agenda. I didn't realize God had a, another agenda. Now, his agenda was to get me there. And then as I connected with him, one of the ladies who was introducing me to the officers, she said, um, as she was introducing me to one officer, she said, would you become a police chaplain? I said, a What? I never even heard of a police chaplain. I knew there were military chaplains. I never heard of a police chaplain. She said, would you be a police chaplain? 
if you really want to help us, we definitely need, we would definitely need you to serve as a police chaplain. I was like, well, what do they do? She goes, well, they do death notifications. I'm like, thanks a lot. No, thank you. Death notifications, as, you, as it sounds, is when someone dies, and you are the one, you go with the officer to tell the person, whether it's a mom. Matter of fact, my very first notification was going with an officer and telling the mom and dad that their nine-year-old daughter had just been killed and they'd never see her again. You know, I've dealt with a lot of death. Being a pastor, I do a lot of funerals. I've done all that. But I've never been on this side of that equation where you're telling somebody, recent one, your husband just killed himself. A lot of suicides. The most recent one I experienced was a young man hung himself and still hanging in the tree. And it was interesting because as I said yes and the whole process and experience talking to the Lord and, and seeing if he wanted me to do this so I said yes I'll be a police chaplain and then so I was going around being a nice guy getting to know them building a relationship doing ride-alongs and I remember when I got the first call for that notification it was about 10 10 30 at night we had just got home we were about to chill settle down put the kids to bed and Lisa and I were going to watch a movie everything because it was a Friday night I believe I think and so we we're just winding down phone rings I recognize the number I'm like uh-oh here we go Answer the phone. Is it CJ? Yes, it is. Uh, would you mind attending with an officer? I said, what happened? She told me what happened. So I meet the officer. We go do the notification. That was the craziest thing, like a scene out of a bad movie. It was horrible. It was hard. But I did feel the grace of God, and I felt a sense of peace and joy that I was serving in a very difficult situation. I was given grace. And that was one thing I asked the father when I felt like he was wanting me to do this. I said, but dad, what about the death notifications? Can we skip that part? And he said, I will give you grace. And that's what I've experienced, supernatural grace, every single time I get called out to one. So I go out that night with the officer, and we do that. Horrible. Go home. And then the next day, I started receiving texts and phone calls from the, law, from the police department. Thank you, CJ, for doing that for us. Thank you so much. Once I did that, it was like I was initiated into the gang, into the family. Everything changed. Meeting a need, because it's like it's one thing to do ride-alongs. I mean, what's the difficulty in doing a ride-along? What's the difficulty in just hanging out with officers and being nice to them and everything? Which, that's part of building a relationship. And that's what I was doing. But once I did the notification, everything changed. And I've done several since then. Jesus said, those who love well will have the greatest influence. It's amazing and crazy the influence that I've been invited to share into the hearts of the guys in the highest place in law enforcement. And I remember last year as we were doing um, declarations, making declarations, something that rose up out of me was that God was sending out into this community the Daniels and the Josephs. And if you remember in the, in the Bible, Joseph was a man who in, ended up becoming, he served Pharaoh with his gift, interpreting the dream, and he ended up becoming the second in command, the most powerful man on the planet under Pharaoh because he served and he was promoted. Daniel served wicked kings, Nebuchadnezzar and others. They were just wicked kings, but Daniel loved and served them, and then he was given prominence to speak into their lives, and Nebuchadnezzar even got saved. So it's like when you love and serve people with no agenda, 
It's like they open their hearts and say, I'm asking you to influence me. I find myself having conversations with, with law officers who have been in, in, the, in that position 30 years, 25, 30 years, and they've, they've seen so much horrific stuff. I can't even imagine. I saw one scene, that young man hanging that tree, and that, that was crazy. But supernaturally, the Lord dealt with that. And I'm about to share that with officers. That's a different story in of itself. But so just ministering and meeting their needs, I find myself in a position that I never even dreamed of, never even had an idea or desired. And I know that God is calling the Daniels and the Josephs into this community, three police departments, Stillwater PD, the Sheriff Department, OSU PD. And they were all leaders. And now one of them, him and his wife, didn't get to complete the class, but they sure loved it. And so now they're influencing their men and women under them, saying, you guys need to take this class. Well, one thing, police officers are, are very private, as you can imagine, keep things to themselves. But also police officers need, they have continuing education that they need. 27, I think it's either 25 or 27 of CLEAT hours they need each year to keep their certification. So every year they have to find, they have to do education stuff to get these 27 hours. I remember I was in the office of an officer a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, and I said, hey, what, is there a way for these men and women to get points for taking these, taking this marriage class. From the point I asked that question, 20 minutes later, love and respect became cleat certified for the state of Oklahoma. Just like that. So now the challenge is, I'm not going to have to go to them and say, you want to take this class, it's really going to help your marriage. They're going to be saying, CJ, when is your next marriage class? I want my hours. And I remember telling another pastor who I've recruited into chaplaincy, and he has an in with the chief, and so he's going to get the marriage class that he does at his church, cleat certified. And I spent time, most of you know, or a lot of you know, Rich and Anita Manganero. You know, Rich and Neater. You guys, <laughs> he calls her Neater. Lisa and I had lunch with them the other day. Now, Rich has been a, a chaplain for 15 years. And this dude has seen, he says, I've seen more death than I know what to do with it. I mean, he's, he's been in it for a long time, so he's seen a lot of crazy stuff. But he's the one that brought uh, love and, not love and respect, Father's heart to our church. And those of us who are familiar with Father's heart know how much of a blessing, how powerful that ministry is, and how much it impacts our lives. Imagine that type of ministry getting into the police department. Just imagine. Imagine. Well, I talked to Rich, Anita, Rich and Anita, Rich, and he's going to put together a, a three-hour class for me, and I'm very positive, don't know yet, but I'm very positive that it's going to become CLEAT certified. So guys and gals in law enforcement are going to be asking us to take this class that's going to revolutionize their lives. All because, well, this lady said, would you become a chaplain? We need help with death notifications. I said, Yes. And now, there's a lot of things happening, and especially, the last thing I'll share with you, especially with, with the, see, I'm kind of like the, the point man, the front guy, but I know there's a team of people, you guys, who are praying and making declarations, and, and walls are beginning to come down, and things are shifting and changing. Men and women are experiencing the love of the Father, and their lives are being changed. Their God consciousness is increasing. Some of them are starting to go to church again, or talking about going to church. I mean, things are shifting and changing. 
And there's another need I discovered with law enforcement, and that is their sleep. A lot of their sleep patterns are really messed up. And so I made up something called Sleep Enhancement Program. Just made it up. And basically, it was an opportunity to invite officers to give us permission to pray for them. And so we had, we prayed for a couple people before. I'll share that later, but the, the most current one, there's two ladies that are participating right now. One lady, she has some kind of a sleep disorder. She did testing on it. I don't know if she knows a name for it. But her body moves so much that she wakes herself up all through the night. And she wakes up every hour to hour and a half all through the night, takes her 30 minutes to go back to sleep. So she participated. And this is the lady, her and I become friends, when that, you guys remember the, the ice storm that was supposed to come in January 2017, beginning of this year? Well, when I walked into the office back in January, and she said, you ready for this ice storm? And I said, I'm not planning on that happening. She said, What? I said, I'm not planning on that happening. She said, well, good luck with that. And this is the same lady, because she saw what happened with that. Because, see, I, I was talking big and bad because there was a team of people that were praying and making declarations. And they had the audacity to believe that something could change, that the ice storm did not have to come and bring destruction here in Stillwater. A few months later, back in the middle of May, when the, the storms were, the tornadoes were predicted to come through the state, and that day they came, they had to cancel some of the Special Olympics activities. I walked into the office, and she said, are you ready for these tornadic storms? And I said, I'm not planning on that happening. And she kind of looked at me funny, and I said, well, can I explain what I mean? And so I, for about an hour and 15 minutes, I explained to her and shared testimonies of what I meant and how tornadoes and all that over the years. And she said, huh, I see your point. And then most recently, I shared with her a mosquito testimony of how we can pray and we can, we can declare things and we don't have to put up with a lot of the junk that's in our lives. I used to be tormented by mosquitoes, and now I'm not. Because I, didn't, I said, mosquitoes, you no longer have permission. Last night, my daughter and I were out in the front, and we were playing, I was helping her with volleyball. We are practicing with volleyball, and she's over there slapping her legs. She goes, dang, these mosquitoes. <laughs> I remember those days. And I was just standing there waiting for her. And she goes, how come they're not bothering you? And I said, because they don't have permission. And she said, lucky you. I said, it's not luck. I said, you don't have to give them permission either. Well, then we kept playing volleyball. So back to this lady, shared with her things and sharing with her that we can pray and speak. Jesus has given us authority, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So now this is the lady who has a sleep challenge, wakes up all through the night. So she signed up for our program. A few days later, I was anxious and couldn't wait for the week because we check in with them to ask if there's any change. I said, have you noticed any improvement with your sleep? She said, yes, I woke up less last night. I said, praise God. A few days later, I asked her again. I said, how's it going? She said, praise God or something like that. I only woke up six times. Can you imagine that? Only waking up six times and that being an improvement? I only woke up six times and she was rejoicing. Well, I asked her a few days ago, a few days again ago, and I said, how any change? And she said, only two times, wow, exclamation mark. And then I asked her again a few days later, and she's still only waking up two times. She went from waking up all the time to now it's down to two, and we're not even halfway through praying for her. But her life is being impacted because people 
Because there's a team of people who are making daily declarations on her behalf, praying and coming against the stuff that's tormenting her life. And see, this isn't just to be something that I do because I'm a pastor or a chaplain, but I do this because I'm a son, and I recognize that. And you too are sons and daughters, and we need to recognize who we are and begin to walk in the authority and bring the resources of heaven into our everyday lives. Does that make sense? He wants us to love people well and love them supernaturally. Three books I want to share with you. Many, a couple of them you're very familiar with. This is one of my favorite books that deals with your identity. It's called Supernatural Ways of Royalty, Understanding Who You Are in Christ. This book really deals with that in a wonderful, practical, easy reading way. I need easy books to read. This one right here is Declarations. This has impacted my life more than I can even imagine. But Declarations, not only do we need to know who we are, we need to know that our words are important. You know, I can tell sometimes when I'm sharing with people, when I share the mosquito testimony... My point in that, or when I share about tornadoes and that kind of thing, my point is to encourage and inspire the son and daughter of God that they can do the same thing. But I, I feel like sometimes people just say, oh, that's so nice, bless your heart. That's so nice for you. It's like, you're not getting it. This isn't just for me. This isn't just for me. In this last book that I'm currently reading, it's a very good book, it's called God is Good, He's Better Than You Think. God is good. He's better than you think. And these three books right here have changed my mindset and, and influenced me dramatically. I'm understanding who I am. I recognize that my words are powerful. And I have the mindset and the basic belief that God is good all the time. And so when I see people, I see it through the lens that God is good and God wants to do something about the circumstance or situation. And so it's like, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And sometimes I jump in and I'll do things or pray and I don't see things happen all the time. But I believe it pleases the Father to err on the side of trying to love somebody versus being afraid, what if nothing happens? So I used to be the person, oh no, what if I pray and nothing happens? But now it's, what if I pray and something happens? What if something does happen? Would you stand with me, please? Now, for the sake of time, I've been thinking through this, how the Lord may want us to respond. Because it's all about the heart anyway. It's not about necessarily, well, one of the main things that needs to happen is we need to make ourselves available. Say, God, I want my eyes to be open to people. I want to I notice people. I want to have a heart that does something, that serves and loves people. And so if you, I'm going to pray and ask God for a special grace to begin that process however he wants. I don't know what it's going to look like for you. But if you want me to include you in that prayer, I just want you to put your hand over your heart. And I'm just going to pray for a special grace. And that something supernatural is going to happen. It's not going to be just a cliche prayer, but something supernatural. We're inviting you, Holy Spirit, right now to do something supernatural in our hearts where our eyes are opened the scales are removed, our eyes are open, we embrace the call of that ministry of reconciliation 
And we allow you to appeal to people through us to draw them to God. And I thank you, Father, that we're going to do whatever it takes, getting in your word, spending time with Jesus, to understand who we are and understand that our words are powerful because, Jesus, you said we can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. That's what you said about our words. And so when we speak to situations on your behalf with your heart, we know changes are going to happen. Father, I thank you for the transformation that's happening in this community because your people are choosing to honor and walk with you. We're choosing. We're choosing to allow you to have your way not only inside of us but through us. Thank you for right now releasing your grace, for releasing your grace to where our normal has now become radically altered. And we will no longer go back to that normal that we knew 10 minutes ago but we are moving into a new normal. And Holy Spirit, we are asking you to define what that new normal looks like. And Father, I just speak your blessing on your sons and your daughters. I thank you. I thank you for the lives that are, have been, are being, and will be impacted in this community, in Stillwater High School, in Oklahoma State University, in the business places, in Stillwater Medical Center, in our homes, all through society. I thank you for the lives that are going to be impacted. We love you and we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.